All right. I am starting the recording now. Looks like Carl is also good to go. So how is everybody doing out there? Then I think I see you out there. I'm fine if everyone else isn't. <laughs> no one's typing. Yeah. Attendance went down ever since I played your quote here. Drummers right now kind of copy into <laughs> what they're told. Well, we cleared out all, all the drummers. There you go. Uh, John says he's busy saluting the McGregors. Excellent. What he means by that is we just did the McGregor salute this week at Dojo U. It's pretty cool. How did I do, John? I don't teach, generally speaking, I don't teach a lot of P-Brock. So traditionally, you know, traditionally that's been Donald Lindsay's realm and others, but uh, Janet's doing good for a Wednesday. That's pretty good. <laughs> well, that's why we're here. Make your Wednesday and the rest of your week. Pretty cool. I'm trying to think if anything exciting is going on. Oh yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, the new website is um, coming soon. The new website is coming soon. Yeah, we've had some uh, developmental hiccups along the way, but for you guys, it'll be brand new and really exciting. For us, it'll be like. <laughs> An enormous relief because uh, no one has slept for many moons. Speaking of which, was there like a lunar eclipse this morning or something? You hear about this? I think, uh, I think it's early this. Is it early this morning or this coming next morning? I think. I think it's tonight. I don't. I don't know. This Maybe there are some. Uh, ah, this morning. Yeah, so that's what I thought. It was raining here, so we didn't get much. Yeah, it was raining here yeah, last night as well. Yeah, exactly. The moon t turns kind of like orange because, yeah, that's right. So the, the earth blocks the sun's light on the moon. So you only get like a very limited amount of light. So we only get to see the red the red wavelengths of the light. That's, yeah, that's what YouTube clips are for, right? <laughs> yes. Light refracts like through the atmosphere, I believe. The same reason the sky turns red at night as well. Wild science. Speaking of wild science, uh, <laughs> did you know that uh, we have an instrument fundamentals course here at the Piper's Dojo? And um, one of the things that, hold on, I'm just grabbing that link. So if you click this link, you can see it. Uh, we have an instrument course at the dojo where we actually teach the art, you might say, of um, assembling your instrument and getting a great quality of sound and great tuning. And it goes all the way through all the fundamentals. Um, but what I thought I would do today um, is maybe go back to basics a little bit and talk through some of the essentials of getting a great bagpipe sound. Um, and... I thought we'd kind of go through that. Uh, but at the same time, it, it, I needed to be interactive. So um, let's have some questions here from the audience. What are, you know, what are some of the questions that you want to know about achieving a better bagpipe sound? You know, don't worry, there's no, no such thing as an overly simple question or even an overly advanced one. Let's go ahead and, go ahead and start typing some of that stuff in.
Um, we get questions all the time that sort of reminds reminds us to go back to basics. Um, then what were some of those questions that you got um, that, you, that you were telling me about? Like some of the classics like, how do I tell if I'm flat or sharp? Right. Or, uh, or how do I know that my read is too hard or too easy, right? Just basic things that people sometimes take for granted that we forget to teach or instruct on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Having a good high A that is consistent. All right. That's a good, that's a good one. Let me just copy this into the notes here. Base drone double toning. We talked about that a little bit last week. Whoops. Oops. It's definitely related. Good Lord. Sorry, guys. Pasting that in there. Base drone. Ah, Bill, I'm glad that you brought up steady blowing. I rarely ever teach steady blowing. Uh, yeah, I mean, another question that you really, you know, sort of think is take for granted, like you would think that most people know when they're not producing a good sound, right? How do you know when your sound is not optimal, right? Most people sort of play and they think they're doing a good job, but maybe they're not, but they don't really know. Yeah, how to tell. It is. How to tell the difference, how to tell if your sound is good. Sounding good, yeah. Classic, right? Some of this stuff is, seems kind of elementary, but you know that's a good one. That's a good example, then. How to tell if you're sounding good. Whoops. How to tell if you're sounding good. Chances are, if you think that question sounds dumb and obvious, you're probably the person that needs to, you know, <laughs> that needs to check in there. You know what I mean? And uh, we're probably all a little bit in the same boat. Sometimes we um, get the impression that we're sounding awesome when really we're missing a lot of some of the key elements, right? Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, Tom says blowing steady when your nerves kick in at the line. Uh, I don't know. I don't think we'll ever have a show about that. Are you kidding? <laughs> when you figure I, I it out, you let us know. And you can be the featured guest. No, I, I have figured it out. I have figured oh, have. it out. I, yeah. I have figured it out, and I will go through it today. <laughs> I have figured that out. What else we got? Chanter and drone sound the same with everyone else. Okay, Doug, so generally that's probably a tuning question, right? Getting uh, chanter and drones to sound good with other pipers. Good one. Canard evolution reads a bit buzzy. Well, that, fit, that fits into that sort of uh, realm of, you know, how do I tell the difference between, you know, sound, I mean, my drones are sounding good and sounding not so sounding good, you know, that kind of, you know, how do I know what's optimal, right, in terms of what my sweet spot is. Yeah, uh, the big question you had then was, how do I know if my pipes are the right strength? Which is a great, um, which is a great question that we should definitely address. Absolutely. All right. Here's the deal. We're, let's start with some of this. But guys, as thoughts come to you, guys and gals out there in the crowd, uh, be sure to um, be sure to write in. Oh, Brian, by the way, Brian, you had a question for me that you sent in, which is, uh, do I need moisture control? 
we talked a little bit about that last week, but you asked me to go over a few more points there. So let's do that today. Uh, hopefully that's good for you there, Brian. Okay, and then Michael, great question. How do I use a tuner with my pipes? Okay, let's get started. So we'll start from the top, but uh, I thought, see, no, I thought I changed all the fonts to a bigger size. Okay, there we go. Just going to move this over and we'll shrink the video a little bit today. There we go. So, um, good. Here's the first thing about, uh, now, here's the first thing that we should cover actually, which is, um, what the heck does blowing tone mean? What do you think? <laughs> you know, like that's a big, it gets thrown around all over the piping world all the time. Like, oh man, that guy was blowing bad tone over there. Uh, and stuff like Everyone that. That's sort of cite that as their number one thing they have to do better in their band too. Like, well, we have to blow better tone. Yeah, we got to blow better tone. Well, what the heck does that mean? Well, well, one of the things that uh, we're careful to do at the dojo is to very precisely define what uh, blowing tone means. Okay, and for us. In general, right, blowing tone has to do with, here's our definition. It, it would be something along the lines of uh, blowing perfectly steady at the chanter reads most harmonic pressure. Okay? So, uh, a lot of people assume that blowing tone means blowing perfectly steady. Okay? However, there's an added thing to it that very, very few teachers talk about or have the means to talk about, which is this. Your chanter reads most harmonic pressure. Right? And we actually, you know, you can call that the sweet spot for short. Sometimes you hear people talk about the sweet spot. All right, and that's, for me, that's the definition of blowing good tone. Okay, now, Steve, thank you for helping me out there and asking the obvious, which is, how do you determine the most harmonic pressure of the chanter read? Okay, now, here's the first illustration that I'll make, okay? And, John, I know you know the answer, so hang on to that. Don't type it in quite yet. We can even use a practice chanter to demonstrate, right? If I blow at different pressures on this thing, it produces different quality of tone depending on how I blow on it, right? So, for example, is this good quality tone on my practice chanter? Is that a good quality of tone? Anybody? Any takers? <laughs> is that the way your chanter sounds like all the time? Oh, thankful. Right. Well, I could. I could play some tunes, right? Uh, right? Okay, so um, is that good? Is that like a good musical sound? And the answer is no, but why is that not a good sound? Why doesn't that sound good? Maybe if I'm a duck, right. So, and Steve, that's the correct answer underblown, right? I'm underblowing that read. And therefore, the notes are not true, and there's no, it's a terrible quality of sound that's very unpleasing to the ear. 
If I blow even just a little bit harder, okay, notice how much better the quality of sound gets. Right? Can everybody hear how much better that got? And what did I do? I blew a little bit harder. Right? Now, if I blow even harder on this, the tone gets even better. It's a little bit sharper, mind you. That's, we're not talking about pitch here. We're just talking about the quality of the sound. Now, it might be tough to tell over my iPhone microphone, but um, the main point that I want to make, which um, sometime when you have your own bagpipe out, you can prove this, okay? which is the more, the more air I put through my reed, the better quality of tone that you get. You get more harmonics and richness out of the sound, the more energy that you put through the reed. Tim saying something like vibration re uh, resonance. Yeah, it's, it's sort of like resonance. It's, you know, uh, now granted, all these words have strict scientific meaning, but what I like to go for is richness and vibrancy. The more air I put through the reed, the more richness and vibrancy I get. Now, if I blow too much pressure through here, I'm going to have a problem, aren't I? What's the problem I'm going to have if I blow too hard on my practice channel? Exactly, the practice channel is going to cut out. By the way, uh, if we go, if we envision our bagpipe chanters on our full bagpipes, if I blow too hard on that reed, what's the consequence going to be? It's probably not going to cut out, but what's it going to do? We're not talking about the drones, just talking about the channel reed right now. Wrong. <laughs> not pitch, no. And Steve, there you go. Chirping or squeaking, right? And uh, I, I, won't, I will spare you the trouble of getting out my bagpipes and demonstrating. I'll spare you the bloody ears. But yeah, we all know if we blow too hard on our reeds, it starts to squeak, right? And squawk and make nasty sounds. Is everybody following me so far? Give me a G if you're feeling good about what we've said so far. Okay. Excellent. So, um, based on this evidence, and if you're a regular Dojo U student, uh, hang back for a second. Don't just blast the answer out. Let's see some of the newer folks, based on the evidence that we just gave you, okay, can you figure out what the chanter reads most harmonic pressure will be? So if you're, you know, if you just know this like it's easy, don't type in quite yet. Newer folks, can we figure out using this evidence what the chanter reads most harmonic pressure is? Rick says, just before it chirps. And Steve says, highest pressure without chirping. And that's exactly right. Okay, that is the definition of blowing good tone or achieving a good tonal quality is what we talk about here at the dojo. It's, we don't just want to blow perfectly steady, but we want to blow perfectly steady at the highest possible pressure without chirps and squeaks and squawks. Now granted, it's not always easy to control that, so sometimes we squeak and squawk a little bit, 
when we're first learning how to blow good tone. Right, this is my exact definition of blowing tone. It's really, really helpful if you think, if, you, if you're involved with teaching students or running a band. If you could teach, imagine if you could teach everyone in a band to blow tone based on this exact definition. By the way, we use, yep, go ahead. It's one, one of those typical things too that, you know, you'll hear that. So you'll be in a band practice and you meet your pipe major or whoever your instructor will sort of shout that out and you're just supposed to understand what it means, <laughs> you know, and no one really sort of goes through the nitty gritty of like what, it, what you're supposed to be doing to, you know, make it happen. So, uh, yeah. especially in the band environment too, you know, with the material that you're playing. So, right. Judges write it on the sheet, but uh, you yeah. know, it's very Judges. rarely ever defined. This is my exact definition. And by the way, I have this manometer here. You see these little lines on it. This red line is my most recent setting for my Chanter Reads sweet spot. Okay, so I hooked my bagpipes into that. And I found the pressure where my chanter was prone to squeaking, and I put this marker on my manometer. And then what you can do is you, I could practice, and I can watch the water and make sure that not only am I blowing steadily, but I am achieving the most uh, harmonic possible sweet spot of my read. Okay. Now, uh, the next, here's the next thing. Now, somebody, yeah, someone was asking about steady blowing before, right? And, and I made a joke, which wasn't a joke, that I hardly ever teach steady blowing. Okay, and here's the reason why, is using this definition of blowing great tone, right? If I am continuously striving to hit the sweet spot of my chanter read, can you see how steady blowing will sort of be a natural consequence over time of shooting for the sweet spot of the reed? Yeah, it's, it's always amused me too, but you know, everybody talks about steady blowing and we're blowing the pipes, but not just blowing the pipes, are we? <laughs> there's all kinds of things going on. Yeah. You know, there's a, there's well, a squeezing, there's breathing, there's this, that, you know, and he, so if you think you can think about a single thing rather than all of those other things, you know, um, you're probably much better off. So blowing is not the only thing that we have to worry about ever when we're playing right. pipes. I think it's more short form. In the, in the end of the day, it's, uh, it's short form for blowing, squeezing, and transitions. Right. right? That's what steady blowing means, is blowing in, squeezing the bag, and the transition between blowing and squeezing all have to uh, maintain a perfectly steady pressure inside the bag. So anyway, um, so there you go. Now, Jane is talking about the reed being too hard. All right, if the reed is too hard, you're going to have trouble blowing good tone, right? If the reed is so hard that you can't actually even get to the sweet spot of the reed, we're going to have a problem, right? So here's the big thing I, uh, we had that somewhere as one of our questions, didn't we? Yes, how do I know ah, my how pipes do I know are the right strength? Pipes are the right, right strength, right? So um, here's the biggest thing I would stress about that. How do you know if your bagpipes are too hard or too easy or what have you? Now, first of all, um, unless you're in a high-level competitive band, right, if you are producing a perfectly steady pressure at the Channer Reed sweet spot, um, 
you don't have to worry about your pipes being too easy. But a lot of us, here's the thing, a lot of us think our pipes are too hard, but they're really not. Okay, here's, here's the, one of the biggest takeaways you can get from today's session, which is, nine times out of 10, the strength of your instrument is an illusion, and it's not real. And the reason it seems really hard, what, what do you guys think I'm pointing at here? <laughs> Why might your bagpipe seem harder than it is? Excellent. Tom says, bad maintenance. Not playing enough. It's rarely the, it's rarely the problem, right? Nine times out of ten. Guys, so 90% of the time. Bagpipes seem hard because we've done a bad job with the maintenance. Air is leaking out of the bagpipes. Does anybody remember the, um, the four key steps of setting up a bagpipe and the four steps in order that we do to make sure that our pipes are actually operating perfectly efficiently? We talked about it maybe a few months ago at um, Dojo Universe, and then it's also in our courses, and we talk about it a lot. What are the four key steps? Four key steps to maintenance, okay? We actually did this. Um, Adam, Adam and I started, um, started asking everybody before every practice or performance, just reminding everybody these four key steps, right? Okay, one is um, make sure your bag is airtight. Okay, that's step one. And we're going to start with the bag and we're going to work our way out. So step two is make sure the joints are hemped snugly. Okay, next thing, here's one people forget all the time, and I can't imagine how many air must be lost on a daily basis in the world, which is make sure all reed seats are snugly hemped, okay? And then what's step four? This is the famous dojo step. Who knows what it is? That's right. Thanks, John. Uh, Good on you. Calibration of drone reads to chanter read, okay? These are the four key steps. Now, uh, the Stuart Highlanders uh, is a grade one pipe band. And when Adam started reminding everyone in the band about these four key steps, and he actually asked them to do it in the first 10 minutes when they got their pipes out, you know, check, double and triple check these four steps. What do you think happened to the sound of the band and what do you think the overall comfort level of players in the band was after they performed these steps? Ian said, the, the tone monster cometh. That's basically it, yep. Which is, the band sounded way better instantaneously. Dramatic enough to like blow people's minds sometimes too, I'm sure. Well, listen to the difference Listen to the difference between our performance at the Fairhill Games last year and our performance at the Rhode Island Games. Listen to the difference in tonal quality because 
uh, we started doing that in between just to make sure everyone's pipes were set up to produce really good tone. Which is just another another example that you can never take these things for granted, even though if you're an experienced right. player, you right. just cannot yeah. sort of assume that it's all taken care of, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, it's I remember once upon yeah. a time, there was like pipers would like set everything up and then never touch them again, you know, never the reads. Yeah, like it's just, it just never touch them. Don't, they're, they're working, they're great. Don't ever touch them. Put them in the gun case, don't touch yeah. them. Don't touch them. Um, you know, and, gun, and you expect them to work every time the same way. And of course, it's never the same. <laughs> never the same. No, no, definitely not. And, um, and there you go. I've actually started doing this religiously. Four steps. You know, make sure the bag's airtight. Make sure that, and the thing about these steps is if you mentally go through this every single time you take your pipes out, let's say even if you only practice once every other day, do you think you have to do very much maintenance very often? You know, uh, the answer is no, you don't. It doesn't even take 10 minutes anymore after a while. Just no, it, it takes zero minutes, right? Especially like once the band got into full swing over the summer, you know, you just have to get your pipes out and you just mentally go through it. Like, yep, the bag still feels good. The joints are still snug. Reed seats are good. You know, and then I check the calibration, which we're not going to talk about today. That'll take too long. But I check my calibration, and then I'm good to go. Mm -hmm. And my pipes feel great. My tonal quality is as good as it can possibly be. Okay, now, in the one out of ten instance where after you do this carefully, your pipes are still really hard, then you can consider making the read a little bit easier. Yeah. And the strange thing is, that the good part about these steps is that, you know, if there's something out of whack, you'll know it immediately. If you're used to doing these steps, you know, it, when something changes, you'll know it, like right away, without even, you'll say, oh, my bag is not airtight. This is not the way it's supposed to feel. And then you do something about it, you fix it or whatever, and, and move on. Or your drone, your, your joints are loose. They loosened up because, I don't know, whether maybe conditions changed and now they're loose or something happened. You know, but you know the, the point is that there, it, the change is easy to, to spot. It's not it's not going to sneak up on you. It's not going to take you by surprise. It's not going to um, alter things suddenly. It's going to be noticeable, fixable, and off you go. You know. Good. Next topic. So uh, I forget who asked this, but what do you mean by having a good high A that's consistent? You mean the steadiness of the blowing? There's also another question about I think Gordon Walker and. Others like Rodney McLeod would get that nice sort of crackly high A. Um, I think it's a similar similar question, but um, those guys do something a little different. I think they manipulate their reads to get that special <laughs> special sound. Well, it could be a blowing issue, yeah. Like yeah, maybe. But I think I think those guys are sort of tweaking their reads to make sure it just sort of chirps a little on the high A to get that sound. Tim says, like one that is balanced and in tune to the low A. Okay, well, that's a basic tuning issue um, that we call balancing the chanter. All right, and the key thing about that, right, is uh, what we call the graduated tuning effect, which basically means if I raise or sink this reed, it affects the top hand more than the bottom hand. So uh, I'm trying to do this really quickly. But um, let's say I have this reed. Now, if I put the reed in, 
what does that do? If I push the read in, generally speaking, what happens? Do things get sharper or flatter? Yeah, absolutely. However, it doesn't make the whole scale sharper. Okay? What really happens is the hi-hat notes get a lot sharper, and as we work our way further from the read seat, the effect is less and less and less and less, right? Because the degree of change gets less and less from when, when we, yeah, exactly, Ian, it's a relative distance thing from the source. So when we sync a read, that's going to sharpen the high hand quite a bit and the low hand not as much. So, okay, um, it, let's say my high A is really flat relative to the low A. I could sync it and it would bring it into balance. If it's really sharp relative to low A, I could raise it. So as far as getting a good high A all the time, that's what that's all about. Keep in mind, though, just based on what you know, Andrew said earlier, is, is if we're thinking about blowing the reed at its sweet spot you know, all the time, then that's the sound you want. So if your high A is inconsistent with your low A and different all the time, then that's the thing yeah. that you should move back to start on. Like, Am I blowing at the reed's optimal point, that sweet spot, all the time? Yeah, absolutely. That's why we have this thing. Uh, we have this thing called uh, the bagpipe tree of sound, which I'm going to share with you. I think. Wait for it. <laughs> Just finding the picture of it. it should be around here somewhere. Here we go. Here we go, folks. Bagpipe tree of sound. Just going to rearrange this window, get it back to normal. So, as you can see, what the root of the bagpipe tree of sound here is bagpipe maintenance. But one of the biggest mistakes you can make, this is what Vin is pointing at, is I could start to tune my chanter. But if my tonal quality isn't good, this is going to be a giant waste of time. This probably defines like two-thirds of the bagpipe world right now, <laughs> at least, if not more, which is we've become obsessed with tuning, but we haven't done the fundamental things that need to happen before tuning is possible. Tuning is impossible without good bagpipe maintenance and without good tonal quality. So, uh, you know, if it's a high A blowing issue, that's a tonal quality issue. We're, we're not blowing steadily when we play high A. And so, obviously, tuning is going to be a pretty big issue. What happens when you, let's say you're blowing unsteadily, right? If you surge in blowing, what happens to the pitch of the bagpipe chanter? If you surge in blowing, who out there knows the answer to that question? Exactly, right? If we blow, it, it um, sharpens the pitch of the chanter. Not by any crazy amount, but by enough for it to sound out of tune, right? And then if we underblow, if we accidentally sag on the blowing, the opposite is true. The pitch of the chanter goes flat. So... As you can see, if, if we are blowing unpredictably and we can't stay steady, is it going to be possible to tune any note on the chanter? 
Not really, no. We can come close. We can get it in the ballpark. That's what most pipe bands are trying to do, is we're trying to tune it in the ballpark, keeping someone's blowing insufficiencies in mind. Right? But in order to get that amazing sound that the grade one bands are getting, we need a great quality of tone, steadily blown, in order to be able to tune it. I think, I mean, it's important too, like, you know, we go back to the definition of, you know, blowing tone, like blowing, what we're talking about is the squeezing, blowing, squeezing, transitions between blowing, squeezing, uh, and, you know, all that stuff. You, you know, that's that's your process, right? And that's where you're going to have to pinpoint what, what it is that's, are you surging in the blowing part and then not squeezing enough, or are you squeezing too hard and not blowing enough? Like, those are, it's tricky, and it's, if you can, you know, this is where the practice comes in and where sort of you can identify and if you're focused on that tonal quality, thinking about it from, you know, am I blowing and keeping the, you know, the pressure in the bag, everything, everything's going through my system at the sweet spot. And how do I do that? Like, you know, where am I falling short? And that's where the manometer comes into hand, it comes in handy um, and things like that. So you can really pinpoint what it is about what you're doing. So, yeah, it's, you know, it, it comes into it and it could be just one small piece. It could be one brief moment as you're blowing into the bag and releasing your arm, you know, that, that you've noticed could have, could be affecting your sound. Um. Um, okay. So Jack asks, how can you practice steady blowing on your own? Well, here's the answer to that question. That is the only time you can practice steady blowing. Okay. That, that's when we want to practice it. Now, how do you do that? Well, First of all, you can do it the old-fashioned way, which is listen to yourself, record yourself playing, and make sure there are no audible changes in blowing pressure. You can usually tell that by a surging sound in the drones or in the chanter. But we use this tool, the manometer, uh, in our course. We use it extensively, and we show you how do, how do we find the red mark, how do we find the perfect uh, sweet spot of the reed, and then what are the different elements that go into steady blowing? And there are two key elements. I'm not going to go all the way into it today. That's why we made the course. But, um, but it's absolutely uh, doable. Um, and that's the name of the game. And again, remember, steady blowing comes after this, the quest for the most vibrant possible pressure in the reed. Yeah. Okay. Good. Let's move on. So that, that's a, that talks about the high A thing. Bass drone double toning. We talked about that a little bit last week, uh, but the name of the game is that first joint of your bass drone needs to tune as low as you can, uh, and that will help prevent bass drone double toning. Yeah. And then calibration to some extent as well, making sure that the reads are calibrated. Well, the, the irony of calibration is, the more you close down a drone read, the higher it will tune on the pin. So sometimes good calibration causes double toning drone reads, right? And then you realize quickly that, okay, me, I either need to try a different read or I need to, you know, uh, try a different set of pipes. Or, you know, they like, you know, sometimes just, sometimes drone reads are not, bass drone reads are not compatible with the bass drone that you're playing, especially if you play older pipes or pipes that are modeled specifically from older pipes, right? Because modern pipes are, you know, 
modern piping, we play at a much sharper pitch than we did back in the day. So the um, oh, I forget where I, where I was going to that. Maybe that doesn't make sense. Yeah, so the reeds are made anyway. The reeds are made differently, that's for sure. Okay, how do you blow steadily when nerves kick in? Okay, I'm going to give you the I'm going to give you the exact answer right now. Okay. Which is, first of all, master the skills of steady blowing in practice. And one of the big skills Okay, we have two we have, we break down steady blowing into two types. Okay, type one, physical steady blowing. Okay, so we call it physical blowing technique. But there's a second type. Who knows what it is? Wrong. Nice try, though, Steve. Physical <laughs> blowing technique. Good. And then mental blowing technique. Now, if we practice physical blowing technique and we are able to master that and get that steady, um, that's not going to fail us in a performance situation. It's just not. It's like riding a bike. You can ride a bike regardless of how many people are watching you ride a bike. Okay? Now, mental blowing technique is different, though. And this is, let me, def let me sort of define what this is all about. Uh, making sure blowing stays um, at the same pressure, here's the important part, regardless of what is happening with your finger work. So John, you hit the nail on the head, right? How many pipers out there, we actually have a huge number of participants today, 55. Of the 55 people out there, how many of us surge when we hit a high A. Or if you don't do it, maybe you used to do it. Yeah. It's a really, really common problem. Now, this is an example of bad mental blowing technique. Okay? So, for whatever reason, whenever we get to a high A, we're freaking out and we overblow. I think it has to do with the fact that you're letting go of the chanter with your left hand. And that just causes you to feel uncomfortable and kind of like seize up a little bit. I think that's what causes it. It's weird. It's largely universal problem with beginners and inter intermediates. For what it's worth, I think you know, the problems with those, with that kind of thing that what you're like releasing the channel and you think you're doing, a lot of people tend to squeeze on that part too. So their whole, yeah. their whole everything tenses up and everything just sort of like freeze, you know, right. freezes and then everything sort of, the pressure reduces, everything just sort of sags and, and everything uh, suffers. But, uh, you know. Who knows? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why it happens. What matters is that we teach ourselves to not change blowing for any finger work whatsoever. Doesn't matter, like, you see what I mean? We can speculate as to why that happens, but it really doesn't matter. We must teach ourselves never to change blowing for any reason. 
Okay. Now, granted, um, if you know, uh, granted, your channel pitch does increase over time, right? So if the channel pitch is increasing over time, you might actually have to lower the blowing, the overall blowing pressure to compensate for that as you go. But it's not changing the blowing for a note, right? It's just changing the overall pressure to keep the bagpipe totally zoned in. That's definitely a reality. That's just for, if that didn't make sense to you, forget I said anything. Uh, but, you know, technically there are changes we make, but we're never making changes for any specific note. Or here's another one. How many people surge when they play an embellishment of some kind, like a grip or a terlouth? How many people's blowing surges when we get to embellishments? Right, exactly. And that's, that's very common too. So, my point is this. Unsteady blowing on the field has to do with mental blowing technique. Alright, so you have dips and surges based on certain factors in your finger work and they are amplified on the field. Okay, that is what causes unsteady blowing on the field. That's right. You might be gripping the channel harder, you're tensing up, overall pressure increases, and any fluctuations in pressure are going to be amplified because the adrenaline is causing us to have even less control over what could, we're doing. It could be too, like you maybe your band's playing, you know, some material that's a little more challenging for you as well. Like a lot of times that happens when people are playing, you know, more challenging tunes and then suddenly like they just, I don't know, panic or something. And it's, for some reason it's different than playing, you know, Green Hills, <laughs> Scotland the Brave, you know, which where everything's inlined and sort of that's perfect, right. you know. So um, that's right. Mental blowing technique gets harder and harder the more difficult your material is. So, Steve, a great question. Let's go here next. So, how do you correct that? Well, first of all, um, you know, first of all, you, you just have to become committed to fixing it, and then you can figure out how to do it. Like uh, Gary was talking about before right uh, that let's start with playing one note on your bagpipes and seeing if you can get the water to stay steady at the sweet spot of the reed trying to point where it is right next thing you do is let's go to the play the scale now when you switch to the scale does the blowing change when you change notes if so that is mental blowing technique that's letting you down for some weird reason, you're changing your blowing when your fingers move. So we can practice playing up and down the scale really slowly for a while. And then once we feel better about that, maybe we can go to really simple slow air and continue to make sure that no sudden movements, nothing weird happens on the manometer uh, while we're playing. Takes work like everything does. <laughs> so Jack, this is a good, this is a classic question. How full do you keep the bag when you play? Okay, that's not the right question to ask, or that question doesn't really, uh, that question isn't really relevant, right? Percentages or how full it is. The single solitary objective is to reach the ultimate sweet spot of your chanter read. The sweet spot of your chanter read will dictate 
the pressure inside the bag. And by definition, if it's at that sweet spot, it is full at 100% all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, that is, that's the number, right? That's the pressure that you want to be at. So, Jack, that's a good, that's a good question. Like, how full should my bag be? Um, just change the, <laughs> exactly. change the question, right? Change the question to, am I sure that I'm blowing at the perfect sweet spot of my chanter read? Yeah, I mean, I've heard, I've heard things, I've heard things like where, you know, you know, how often should you be blowing versus squeezing, you know, people should be blowing 90% and squeezing 10% and blowing 20 and squeezing 80 and 50, whatever, you know, it, it's, it, it, whatever it takes <laughs> to reach that sweet spot and, and stay there, that's, that's where yeah. you're at. And that's what it is. Um, Although, um, in order to, in order to increase your stamina, mm -hmm. you should work to slow down your cycle. Mm -hmm. Right. So I have a very, I have probably the slowest uh, breathing cycle of anyone that I've seen in a really long time. Uh, certainly of any of my students, right? My, my blowing cycle is twice as long. Like I'll blow in for like three or four or five seconds and then I'll squeeze for maybe slightly less, but pretty much the same. Um, and that allows me to stay on top of things. Um, and it allows my stamina, especially like when I'm playing long P rocks and stuff, my st stamina is never an issue. Yeah. And you, you know, you, see, you can even watch some of the, you know, the premier players and look at a lot of those, a couple of those guys, they're constantly breathing and blowing. It's a constant thing. Like you would think that, are they ever squeezing? I don't know, but they're constantly taking a breath, like every other second, you know? Uh, yeah, I can't do it's, that. It's, it's, yeah, but it's whatever is comfortable. It's like all a personal thing. Like it, whatever keeps you at that spot you know, where your pipe is sounding um, optimal there, that, that sweet spot that we talked about, whatever it is, you know, <laughs> breathing a lot, blowing a lot, whatever, you know. Gary says, sometime I would like for you guys to discuss the nature of a pipe band. Uh, um, for the record, I, I do have a chapter in the instrument course and the fingerwork course about playing in pipe bands. Um, so... Um, that's definitely there. Uh, but yes, a lot of people think of the band as a big single entity. When you're absolutely right, Gary. Pipe bands are defined by the work that the individuals are willing to do for the band. Absolutely. And the develop, you know, the better the individual fundamentals are in a band, the better the band will be. The band is only as strong as its weakest member. Not true. Uh, we've had some really strong bands with some really weak individuals in them. <laughs> so I don't know. I challenge that cliche a little bit, but I know what you mean. I know what you're getting at, Gary, for sure, which is everyone in the band has to have an attitude for individual, maximum individual improvement. As long as that's happening, I think the band will move forward, you know, improve and progress. So. I don't know what to tell Steve. Yeah, well, Steve, that's, I mean... That's, that's the mental blowing technique right there, yeah, I think, in action. Absolutely. You know? So the, it's probably the speed at which you're having to do things in the light music is greater than the P-Brock is, so you have, you're unable to focus on the quality of the instrument. That's pretty common, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, light music tends to be a little bit more uh, demanding mentally, too, not just, you know, finger work-wise. 
you know, sometimes you have to think a little bit more about the music, about what you're doing, phrasing, whatever. Um, so that sometimes takes away from other things. But again, that's that's where this kind of work comes into play, developing those fundamentals so they become uh, habits and, and, you know, mastered. So. Okay. Let's try and kill these last topics real, real fast. How to tell if you're sounding good. Here's how I do it. I record myself playing, and then I compare myself to the ideal. I do this all the time. People think I'm really weird. But, like, for example, if, if I record a set of jigs, I know when I grow up I want to sound like Stuart Little when I play jigs. So what I'll do is I'll listen to my recording, and I'll listen to Stuart's recording, and I'll say, gee, my bagpipe sounds just as good. No, usually not. <laughs> usually it's my bagpipe sounds pretty good, but it, Stuart's able to get you know this, that, or the other thing. Uh, and then I work on improving it. Or you can say, man, I was tuned pretty well, but why doesn't it sound as good as Jack Lee? Or something like that. All right? So that's, that one's killed for now. We can talk about that more some other day. Uh, getting Chandler Jones to sound good with other pipers. Let's move that to the end because these next two are important. So Chris especially wants to know, are buzzy drone reads good or bad? I like to, I like to think that each drone read has its own unique quality of sound. They're each special in their own way. Don't know that. The uh, the All goal right. is to is to tease out that that optimal sound from each of them, right? And you, right. knowing that it's going to be different, you got to find out where it's going to be sounding its best. Um, well, and they all all drone reads sound the best. All drone reads sound the best when they are calibrated. So that's true. Um, so here's what I, I have a variety of different drone reads that I cycle in and out as the years go by, right? And Chris, um, you know, buzzy reads are buzzy, but it doesn't necessarily mean bad. If you have a performance with perfectly uh, steady, great tone, drone reads stay locked in to the chanter for the entire performance. If the worst thing a judge can say about your performance is that the drone reads were a little bit buzzy for his taste, his or her taste, uh, that's a pretty good performance. So... I don't lose sleep over this. And one of the things scientifically that makes drone reads buzzy is a really rich harmonic spectrum. Buzziness is a side effect of tons and tons of harmonics. So sometimes I like to go for the buzzy because it helps really bring out um, and, and resonate with the chanter notes. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it can go too far sometimes if you if your read is is buzzing. I mean, typically, like you know, Andrew said, it's like a good calibrated set of reads is probably not going to be an offensive buzz. It'll be a nice yeah. sort of pleasant buzz, if anything, because when it's they buzz, it means that they're not they're not set properly, essentially. Yeah, Chris, what type of drone reads do you have there? And we'll see, you know, I might be able to give a recommendation for a different set. Okay. Yeah, and as far as the evolutions are concerned, I love that level of buzziness. Carl and I are both playing those and loving it. So, um, 
Yeah, and obviously, John, you're a calibration master at this point. So, and Chris, let me know what type of journeys you got. Meanwhile, uh, Brian asked me a little bit to follow up about moisture control. What I said last week, notice how I, I like to talk about this at the end of the shows. That means if uh, that means if the dojo, the dojo critics are going to have to sit through a lot of nonsense before they hear some of the good stuff. What I said last week was, unless you're a super advanced player, Okay, who you know, who's in a position where drones going even slightly out of tune could be the difference between first place and not being in the prize list, right? That's basically the only type of person who should entertain a moisture control system, in my opinion. Okay, uh, the rest of us, okay, um, the rest of us should be playing uh, simple pipe bag setups and learning to manage moisture organically. Okay, the reason being, right, moisture is part of what allows us to achieve a great tonal quality. Um, and and we, wanna learn, we wanna learn the fundamentals of dealing with moisture, not try and get moisture to go away completely. Um, and that's what I said. And then- right. and Most of us are never gonna play at, you know, at a length of time where that becomes a real, real issue. You know? You know, most most of our performances are manageable to the point where any moisture that collects can be managed, you know, like I said, organically or with simple simple techniques of some kind. Um, you know, if, you, if you're playing that long, like recital-ish type stuff, like for an hour or more, um, where moisture becomes an issue, then then obviously you're a more advanced player maybe and you need more um, equipment that way. So, deal yeah. But again, even even a recital situation, right? Um, you should be able to you should be able to set things up to manage that um, to manage that. And and the, and the thing is, if your drones go a split hair out of tune due to a little bit of moisture, right? Um, that's not going to ruin a recital. Um, okay, uh, Tom, that's a great question which I will address. But the other thought I had was, or Brian emailed in and was talking about how his bag gets quite wet. Uh, you got to make sure that you. Uh, air out the pipes after you're done playing as often as possible. Um, and keep in mind that a hide bag, as it ages, is going to start to get more and more saturated. And so one of the things you might need to consider is a new bag, depending on how old it is. And then otherwise, just try to dry it out. You know, I take my pipes completely apart for at least 20 minutes after every practice session before I put them back together. Meanwhile, I don't leave them out overnight because they could get overly dried that way too. Okay, so um, now, organic moisture control. What I mean there, Tom, is a moisture control system that does not um, actively take moisture out of the system and does not uh, affect the embouchure of your drones. So in other organic, words, a, yeah. so organic can also refer to techniques. Yeah, like tech, organic techniques being like a tube trap or opening up your bag if you have a synthetic hide bag or something like that, just letting it air out a little bit, swabbing out drones, you know, just clearing out the moisture uh, with just some simple steps, you know, rather than having a system that does that for you. That's all. Yeah. Yep, exactly. And as soon as you put desiccant in there, that's you know, remember desiccant will withdraw moisture from the system. 
the air doesn't just go through the desiccant and come out dry. The desiccant sits in that environment, right? Who here has ever had dry skin during the winter when the air is really dry? You know, I, I get dry skin like here. It's kind of weird. Uh, that's why I'm rubbing my face oddly. Um, but, um, you know, your skin gets dry because the air, I think it's called diffusion, is what, you know, what it's called. But air actually will withdraw moisture to try to achieve a balance. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens with moisture control desiccant systems. Is it doesn't just dry the air. It's actually also actively taking air out of the bagpipe and away from the chanter reed and so you're not able to get stability or harmonics that you really, really need. Yeah. Robert's playing a four and a five. Robert, you're not playing for four or five hours straight, are you? That's crazy. You find another band. <laughs> but still, if you're in Louisiana and you're playing a Mardi Gras parade, I would say you probably don't need much of a moisture control system being like ungodly hot that time of year. So. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. And yeah. I don't use moisture con control systems for parades either. Um, however, it would be in your best interest not to warm up for three hours before the five exactly. hours. Exactly. If you're playing four All right. hours. <laughs> All right, guys. That's got to be it. We've got to wrap that up. People got to get on with stuff. That's a great discussion, though. Thank you, guys, uh, for coming to check that out. And um, what should we talk about next week? No. We can maybe pick up on some of these. Yeah. Like, uh, well, how does it sound good with other pipers, kind of thing? How to how to know when yeah. you're not so elaborate yeah, more on. Yeah, we talk about maybe tuning. Well, let's talk about tuning and tuners and stuff next week. That's what we'll do. Sounds good. Uh, and we'll go from there. Oh, uh, by the way, um, for those of you who uh, would like to get the full story in beautifully organized HD video, <laughs> the Instrument Fundamentals course is the way to go. Few people will ever know what a momentous achievement these two courses are. I'll probably be long dead and gone before people start to catch on just how valuable this stuff is. So, um, on digitally. That's my humble opinion of my work. <laughs> uh, the cost is the cost is uh, there on that web page. Check it out. Um, yeah, John says it's legendary. I love it, John. Sounds great. All right, guys. We'll see you later. All right. Have Thanks a good day, everyone. Thanks for coming, and uh, we'll see you next week.